0: Hello, welcome to another Use of Force. This week is the 35th week of our walk. We are doing a theme around hip hop neighborhoods in Queens. And this instance of Use of Force took place in Jamaica, Queens.
1: And we normally start this segment off by reading the Use of Force statement, which is in the NYPD use of force report, this incident does not have a use of force report, and it's not completely clear why it's not listed. I believe because the officer involved in this incident was an MTA officer, so that's technically MTA PD as opposed to NYPD, I did try to find out if there was an MTA, PD, use of force reporting system. And if there is, it doesn't seem to be either available to the public or easily accessible. So, I guess right away, if there's anyone listening that knows about another use of force reporting for branches other than the regular NYPD please let us know, because we would like to be able to follow up and read that. But we'll just go right into talking about what happened in this incident. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So around 9.30 a.m. on July fourth, two 2012, Officer Barnett, who is an MTA PD, was outside of the Jamaica-Long Island Railroad Station near the taxi line, speaking with one of the people that worked in that area. A man named Edgar Owens walked up to Officer Barnett with a gravity knife. He immediately stabbed the officer in his left eye the officer backed up drew his weapon said drop the weapon and you know identified himself as police Edgar Owens kept coming towards him and the officer shot his gun four times. Edgar Owens was hit three times. And both men were taken to the hospital. Edgar Owens died on the way. Officer Barnett underwent a four-hour surgery. And the reporting on this in about 10 to 15 articles, which was what I was able to find, reading through all of them it really focuses on the officer right there's very little information about edgar owens
0: yeah yeah he was a ex military correct
1: yeah john barnett the the police officer was a military deployed in afghanistan and iraq he had served 1 year in the regular NYPD 13 years in MTA, NYPD, and I believe he was also a registered National Guard. And this was the first time he had ever needed to fire his weapon. And I guess they, you know, they talk about his involvement in the military because he is referencing this incident saying this is something he would expect as a soldier that he would be attacked, you know, unprovoked, but it's not something he expected at his job as MTA police. Right. And I think we can get back to the status of Officer Barnett and and what happened to him after this incident, but I'd like to talk a little bit about Edgar Owens first. Like I said, there isn't much mentioned The main thing that they do mention, or in in almost every article, the only mention, or the, sorry, in almost every article, the main thing that's mentioned is that Edgar Owens attacked Officer Barnett out of the blue with a knife. There is video footage and it does show that he was unprovoked and he just went up to the officer and did this. There's a lot of language that really is difficult for me to read where reporters are calling Edgar Owens deranged, crazed, calling him a cop hater, using the type of language that we see a lot in these incidents and in one particular article there was a interview with the officer's sister and i you know i don't know for sure if it was actually a quote from her or if it was the person that wrote the article but there was a sentiment that we're just so happy that no one got seriously injured when you know obviously one person did die so I have a hard time with that. I think this is a really difficult situation. I think what the officer did, I don't know that he had any other options himself. It seems, though, the, the only other information that I could find about Edgar Owens is that he did have a history of being uh involved in things that that were involving the police he had been arrested for criminal possession of a weapon he had been arrested for assault on a police officer previously and criminal possession of a controlled substance in 2006 he had punched an officer in the face at the 26th precinct in manhattan and then the next year in 2007, he walked into the 103rd precinct in Jamaica and demanded to be re- arrested and said that if he wasn't arrested, he would punch someone. And I read that after that second incident, he was taken to a hospital to be, to have a psychiatric evaluation but mm-hmm. I couldn't find anywhere after, like fairly extensive research, I couldn't find what the what came from that and I couldn't find anything about his family or anything like that all I all I could find in in addition the final thing that I was able to find about him is that he's from the Bronx
0: yeah yeah it's I mean there's there's a couple of things that I think about when I think about this is one it's a particularly gruesome description of what happened, right? Yeah. And it's enough to make anybody immediately kind of feel something in a way that some of these other incidents don't. Yeah. In terms of like body reaction, not right. necessarily in terms of emotion. And it is I think, you know, the news's job is to, you know, communicate what happened to the public and also, you know, clarify, communicate and clarify. And I think also in instances where there's this potential for visceral reaction, there's also a quality of alleviation that I think news organizations might be looking to fulfill. And when you have someone that is a decorated soldier,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or at least, you know, a returning soldier decorated, I, I don't know what if he received any awards, but he is someone that you can point to as a service member, which is one of the sacred positions in our society. And I think that pretty pretty easily becomes a narrative that not only the, the busy news people are trying to make sense of something that on the surface seems senseless. Are, are they going to want to dig deeper into Edgar's life and try and figure it out? Maybe, maybe not. But there's this really low-hanging narrative right here that can bring that sense of logic to Mm -hmm. a a terrifying event.
1: Yeah, and I guess the fact that there's enough to write about just about the officer himself. Yeah, I I guess the point for the people writing the articles is to get their article written.
0: Yeah, I mean, there... There are instances where it is either ambiguous or really deliberately or evident that law enforcement did something wrong. And in that case, news is probably more more likely, not certain, but more likely to investigate what happened on the civilian side of the equation. Right. And in this situation... It it's more apparent to us because we're talking about these sorts of things every week and we want to know both sides of the story. But if it's your job to report on these things on a routine basis, this might be the type of thing where it's like, okay, I have I have the reasoning behind this, I can report what I can report, and that my my burden as I understand it, my responsibility in this equation as a news outlet has been fulfilled.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's important to me to point out that language because I do find it really upsetting. The language that I said earlier, like deranged, crazed, cop-hater, these sort of really easy inflammatory and dismissive at the same time words that are used against people that we just consider criminals. And then we lose the idea that they're also human. And I do think, you know, this was from 2012. So I think part of wanting to point that out is hoping that as we progress over time, we do become more aware of the language that we're using. Because this isn't just language used in the, like this is across the board with all outlets use this type of language in 2012.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's an important part of the story insofar as the context of how we are exploring these things. Yeah. Because that is something that we see again and again, that this type of language is used. And it does not allow us to get to the systemic problems. This person clearly had emotional problems. Exactly. You don't go into a police precinct and demand to be arrested or you're going to incite violence on somebody if you don't have a problem and you don't know how to take care of it within the system.
1: Right. Right. So, back to the officer. In this incident, I... I do believe that this was the only thing he could have done. I don't see another way to handle it, to be completely honest. If he hadn't... I mean, part of it is because he was stabbed in the eye. So he was shooting quite literally blind. He had blood pouring out of his face as he was shooting his gun to try and stop this man from either killing him or attacking someone else. And you know as much as i would like to be able to find another way to solve this problem i do think that in that moment there wasn't really much else he could have done and that's also part of the story that a lot of people are pointing to he officer barnett was trained like we said in the military he also served one year as a NYPD he had been 13 years in the MTA PD So he went through regular training. He was able to react really quickly. And what happened to him after this, he did survive. He had, like I said, he had a four-hour surgery. He was able to speak to his family before he went into the surgery. He spoke to Andrew Cuomo right before he went into the surgery. There were a bunch of politicians that got involved and um (laughs) he sort of went into it really positive he I don't have the quote written down but he said something along the lines of I'm going into this a fighter and I'll come out of this a fighter like you know um one year later I found an interview with him he I think the positive attitude was kind of falling a bit. He can't see out of his left eye, so he was still on medical leave from his job. He really wanted to get back to work, but was realizing. Sorry, it seemed like he was realizing that he might not be able to. He spoke about how he had started doing some charity funding and work to help people that are that have all sorts of different. disabilities from their job when their job is something similar to either military or police so he had been meeting a lot of people that had worse injuries than him amputees and people that were you know had yeah were just worse than him so he was trying to have some perspective with that um but he was in constant pain on the left side of his face the knife went less than an inch away from his brain, so he had nerve damage and he came close to dying, which he's, you know, thankful that he is still alive. Um, but he has a number of hobbies that he can't do anymore, such as golf, playing chess, and reading. He has always been a runner, so he tries to stay active and has been running marathons. And again, this is in 2013, this year later interview. That during that year after this attack, he ran in the Boston marathon and was 1 mile from the finish line when the bomb went off. Mm. So I don't know, this was this just really struck me as the in the interview he was speaking about how it really re-traumatized him mm-hmm. and how part of recovering from this in the year had been dealing with how sudden that had happened that he had been stabbed and so being involved in another traumatic and surprising and unexpected and unusual event and attack within that same year just seems super unlucky yeah I guess I don't really know how else to say it yeah um
0: well it's I think a pretty big statement on the role law enforcement officials play in the psyche of those that don't fit inside our system, that him just standing there was something that subjected him to a level of, of injury and, and trauma that he didn't see while he was deployed overseas. Right. And it's awful that he was the target of this. Nobody should have to be the target of this. And it comes from, you know, trying to uh, slowly, piece by piece, break down these types of things like how we report about this stuff and what these charges mean you read off the list of charges possession of a weapon and mm-hmm. controlled substance and mm-hmm. we know from previous instances of where those those charges sound scary and sometimes are not scary at all right and we don't know what edgar's charges were related to
1: no there's no way to find out you
0: you read those off and you get 3 of those you know like 3 is a magic number for anything and all of a sudden you're just a criminal for somebody that doesn't need to hear anything more about you. Right. And yeah.
1: And the the problem here is not only that Edgar Owens is killed in this incident and that he never had a chance because there isn't the help that he must have needed within our system even though he had been in places and you know checked into the hospital and had many opportunities where there could have been some sort of intervention but because there was no good way to intervene in our society he died and John Barnett was injured and traumatized and you know lost his sight in one eye and it's just when we talk about these things i think people are often thinking oh i don't want to help i don't want to waste my time helping people that aren't willing to put in the work themselves or people that are criminals are just you know there's there's sort of this attitude i don't know exactly the language that people use because i don't think i talk to those people all that often but i I recognize that there's an attitude of, like, just not thinking it's worth it to help people that are just considered criminals and considered subhuman in some ways to a lot of people. And I guess this is just a really clear incident to me that shows why it's not only worth it to help people because it helps people because they are all equal human, but it also will prevent things like this from happening.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's not altruistic to help people. You don't have to look at it that way. If you believe that we should be respecting law enforcement and providing them with the safest conditions possible, which I believe, then you need to recognize that you deal with the people that would potentially be causing these random incidences Yeah. in a way that improves their life.
1: Right, because this punitive system is... I can't say that it's 100% broken because I don't think I understand it well enough to say that, but I definitely can say that it's not working fully and there's a lot of gaps and I do fully believe because this isn't a fact this is my opinion that when we help each other and when we try to help people to get better and not just tell them that they're bad and send them away that it that that's what really does make people change, and that's what really makes it better for everyone. Yeah. So I just want to say one more thing about Officer Barnett. I did find his LinkedIn page, and it says that he retired in 2013. Just to wrap that up, that story, I was wondering, and if I was wondering, I imagine that maybe someone else listening might be wondering as well. So... I think that's all that we have to share about this particular incident. As always, if anyone has anything to share with us, if you know about this incident or any other use of force incident that happened in New York City in the last 10 years, we would be happy to hear from you. And if you have any comments or anything to say otherwise about this project that we are doing, we would also be happy to hear from you. So thanks for listening.
0: Bye.